Welcome back to the DJ Sessions, where we feature the best DJs, producers, and artists from around the world. I'm your host, Darren, and right now we're sitting, or I'm sitting, in the virtual studio in Seattle, Washington. And on the other end, on that side of the screen, is none other than Judge Jules. Coming in from, where are you coming in from, Judge? London, the capital city of the United Kingdom. <laughs> the capital city of the United Kingdom. You know what? I'm going to be visiting there hopefully later this year. It's going to be awesome. My friend is from there, lives there. And I just can't wait to make it over there and, and, and get out of the States for a minute. <laughs> let, us, let us travel, I think, is the, is the moral of the kind of recent times. Absolutely. And, and I mean, you had a very extensive career in the game. I was doing some research on you before the show, as I always do. And you're not just a DJ. You're not just a producer. You're a lawyer. You're an attorney as well. Yeah, I do music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, if you wanted to me to buy or sell real estate for you, I would I'd definitely look in another direction. But if you want me to negotiate pretty, pretty much like a hound dog, the best deal for you in the music business, then I'm, I'm your guy. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an attorney with my own practice, which is something I've done over the last 10 years. Obviously, I've been a DJ for 30 plus years, um, been, to, been to your home city on a number of occasions as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, was that something that you took on as as you went through the music industry and said, you know what, I'm tired of working with other people. I want to represent myself. Let me study this. Let me go get my educationist and be that representative now for up and coming or other artists. I think it was um, originally it was because I didn't uh, I was in, in the in the UK anyway, one of the pretty much the part of the first generation of the so-called superstar DJ. And the issue was that I didn't I didn't know A, how long it would last. I mean, I knew it would last for a long time because by the time I made the decision to to do this other thing, I'd already, you know, I'd been very, very busy for 20 or more years. But I, there was no there was no particular kind of uh, role models to look at who are slightly older than me. I mean, probably the only people who are a little bit older than me at a, at a high level still doing it would be like Carl Cox, Paul Oakenfold and Pete Tong. So I, I just thought, you know, but I also, you know, I've been lucky enough to travel just, I mean, I don't know, for example, I've been to the US a hundred times. I've been to, I've done 500 shows in Ibiza. So I've, you know, I really have done a lot of DJing and a lot of traveling um, and which I love. And I wouldn't, wouldn't change it for the world. Some of the greatest experiences made really close, true friends in most of the major cities of the world. Um, but I also felt that it was a sort of unsus an unsustainable lifestyle um, from a physical point of view. Um, so also I've got two kids, didn't watch my old, the older of my two kids growing up, really, I was always away. So I just thought, well, let's, let's pull it back in a bit and focus on the UK. The UK is one of the strongest clubbing markets in the world. Um, it's my, you know, it's where I made my name and I'm, you know, my name's very well known in the UK in particular. So um, you know, on a, almost on a mainstream level, my name is very well known. Um, yeah. uh, my name appears, I mean, it's crazy. And I'm just, just to give an example, my name appears on kind of quiz shows and stuff like that on TV. It's kind of crazy. But so I just wanted to pull it back to the point where I could only, where I just focused it, focused more on the UK, you know, had a slightly more sensible lifestyle, still DJ a lot. I, if it wasn't for COVID in 2020, I would have done a hundred shows, which is about perfect. Not as many as the 250 shows a year that I did in my sort of peak. Um, but also focus on my legal practice, focus on looking after people. And actually, 
genuinely giving something back. And I know that kind of attorneys don't necessarily have the best reputation for kind of propriety and doing the right thing. But genuinely, if you were, you know, if you're an artist, particularly in the electronic music sphere, and you call me up and you're you're serious, and I can and I and I can, you know, I recognise you as being somebody who deserves the help. I'll I'll, I'll give free advice and I and I give that and I give free advice to countless people every week it's part of what mm-hmm. I do which clearly I need to make a living and I, and I do a lot of very big deals and I look after some very very big names I won't mention those names but some very very big names as well but you know so so it's this kind of so I now exist on this kind of dual track of existences where I've got my legal practice uh and then I've got my kind of you know the DJ stuff which for the majority of the past year of course hasn't been very much about going out and doing shows regrettably has been but I do weekly live streams uh, which have gone really well I do my weekly radio show weekly podcast you know making the odd record as well so um, it's a kind of dual existence and it and it's an interesting dynamic because as an to be successful in the artistic sphere irrespective of what sphere of the arts you're in you need to be it's 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 awful to say it, but it's true. You need to be a little bit selfish and a little bit kind of tunnel visioned to be successful. It's just a prerequisite. I don't say it with any pride, but it's it's fact. Whereas when you are representing other people, you have to park that ego and park that sort of self-belief at the door because you are literally going going into their skin and really fighting the corner on somebody else's behalf. And I think from a sort of philosophical and a psychological perspective, it's been really valuable to me actually looking at looking at the the music world through other people's um vist from the perspective of other people's vistas rather than solely from my own as well. Well you you touched on so much great information there about you know what you do and how you balance it. Because I these are some of the questions I was gonna ask you is is how and I do ask this to a lot of people is one, what do you plan to do after your DJ career or after your production career, do you have something in the background? I was just talking with the DJ uh, who goes by D- Roxanne and um, out of LA and she's a forensic anthropologist. You know, it's like you're a DJ, but you're a forensic anthropologist, just finished up her degree. You know, and, and it's just interesting to hear what these, most people think of these iconic DJs or producers as these entertainment figures when really they got their their other passion on the back end of what they do in their real life or, yeah, or non-entertainment I'm, life. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm not quite as disconnected as the forensic anthropologist from music. It's just two two angles on music. Yeah, I mean, you really can't, as I say, they can't, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I don't, not sure I could re-qualify as anything else, but I have done a lot in the music business beyond DJing. You know, I've been a promoter at a very high level in Ibiza, probably promoted over... Three or you know, two or three hundred shows in Ibiza have been an A and R senior A and R at quite a high level within the for a major or two major record labels have been what else have I done you know been a radio presenter on BBC Radio One for fifteen years so that that breadth of experience means it would be pretty crazy for me to do anything as a lawyer outside of or as an attorney outside of the music sphere uh, and you'd be mad to book me for anything else but but I understand the business dare I say it as well as anybody and that's that's how I plow my trade during the day. So two things, they're kind of synonymous with each other. And you may have run into this since the boom of live streaming has happened. And obviously being in the industry for so long and being an attorney, your thoughts, are you familiar with what's happening in the EU right now with the le- legislation they passed about getting rid of the Safe Harbor Act for the DMCA over there? 
Yeah, familiar with that. Yeah, I mean, which which didn't actually apply under UK law. Interestingly, it's mm -hmm. funny. I, I mean, that whole for for a long time, the music business was a very the the, the pariah of the music business was was YouTube. Whereas the you know, if you like, the goody two shoes of the music business was Spotify. But actually, because Spotify sort of went out of their way to to proactively deal with distribution companies as opposed to YouTube, which relied on on the safe harbors provisions. You know, you are you are allowed to be to post material until somebody tells you to take it down. But actually, you know, YouTube is an important part of the fabric. It's the biggest streaming service on on the planet, bigger than bigger than Spotify. Um, but it is an interesting one. I, I mean, I, because I'm in the UK and because the UK, that bit of legislation, EU legislation was enacted at just as Brexit happened and the, the UK left the European Union. And indeed, there was the discretion to opt out of that even before Brexit. Uh, it doesn't impact on the UK. So I've got this kind of, on the one hand, I, you, I think, you know, good. Um, YouTube can't just exploit anything in the EU without paying for it. But on the other hand, I think, you know, when I'm as, as a music discovery platform, not just for new music, but for old music, when I'm the live streaming, a good example is the live streaming I do where, you know, some of it is trying to find really obscure classics and some of them my live streaming is new stuff. And I use it as, and it's a great discovery platform. So um, I would certainly really want, not want that to be taken away. Sorry, It's live, it's all good. Phone is off silent. It's it's okay. That happens all the time. I expect it to happen. We'll just go right through it. It's all good. So yeah, I mean, so I I so it's a, so it's a double edged sword, but it doesn't apply in my jurisdiction. I and it won't apply in the US either. Correct, correct. I just you know we we looked at the the boom. We've been doing a live streaming show on. Uh, you know, using um, Ustream, Livestream, we were on iTunes, podcasting, all that fun stuff. So this has come up quite frequently when we're doing this content, even when it gets the video on demand and putting the shows online for archiving them, you know, that's where the takedowns happen. Now we're a featured partner with Twitch and Mixcloud. And, you know, I've seen Twitch issue statements over and over again about copyright violations. And they're not necessarily targeting DJs, they're not wording it, but it does say on their site, no DJ sets. So there's one they issued recently that said they're going to start going to active monitoring, where they're actually going to start monitoring the live streams. And Facebook and YouTube kind of already do this, you know, and as far as DJs using other people's content, if they don't have licenses for it, it, it kind of puts a big hang up on them distributing their music. So, you know, mix that. Well, I mean, it, it puts a hang up on, on doing DJ mixes where you're using other people's records, that's for sure. But the, right. the, the inherent problem is that there are only two or very few entities in the world that have managed to clear, or it's the recording rights that are an almost impossibility to clear. You, if, you, if you are playing, uh, if you're a DJ and you're playing records and you're doing a DJ set, getting some sort of clearance for the music publishing. You've got to basically clear the music publishing and the recording rights. Clearing the music publishing is the easier of your task because there are kind of blanket licenses that enable you to do that. Whereas with recording rights, with the exception of YouTube and, you know, the really big players, Spotify, YouTube, um, Apple Music, I presume Deezer and I guess Tidal, um, 
there is no other entity in the world that's actually cleared everything. You know, and I, I find it disappointing that Facebook haven't done that. I think it, you know, a, a business of that size should be going away and clearing the music rather than taking DJs' live streams down. But the reality is that most DJs are approaching this in good faith, but they're just not able to do it legally in reality. Absolutely. And I was on the um, I was on an interview with the CEO, uh, Nico, from Mixcloud uh, earlier this year. He had found me talking about copyrights in another podcast. And it turns out Mixcloud, they launched their live streaming service. So you can live stream with them your video. Afterwards, they rip the audio and only store your audio on the site, which then they've gone out and got with the 40 or 50 companies the licenses to, to put those mixes up. So it might see a shift in the paradigm move from if they start seeing. Yeah, but actually, you know, the point of live streaming is is you want the you want the video, don't you? <laughs> in truth, otherwise it's just it's no different from what you can get on SoundCloud or anywhere else. Exactly. No, I, I fully. If you agree watch with my you. live streaming, I'm on a, I'm I'm on every Saturday night on UK time. You know, I jump I jump around, prance around like an idiot, and that's you know, hopefully a cool-ish idiot. But you know, that's what you should do as a DJ. So. There's a big difference between watching a DJ doing it and mixing and kind of getting down uh, to just hearing the audio. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You're speaking to my heart. That's why I started the DJ sessions almost 12 years ago, you know, and I was the guy who was jumping up and down like a like a jumping beam while the DJ, they didn't know what to do in front of the camera. They, they were used to doing something like this and I'm over here bouncing for four hours, just riling up the, the online viewership. Speaking of live streaming shows, um, I'm going to move it over to Global Warm-Up. You have 901 episodes is what I see there. And is that, that's produced as a weekly show? Is that correct? Yeah, radio show that's syndicated on a lot of stations around the world. It's about 80 stations around the world, but then it's also put out as a podcast. Um, and I've been doing it for, for a long time, as you can probably tell from that. Yeah. I mean, gosh, an episode for a week, I would see that's 10 years and then another 400. So Talking about 14, 15 years on that? Yeah, a little bit more, yeah, exactly. A little bit more, awesome. Congratulations on that. I know it's a, a huge success to, to just keep something going. And a lot of times I hear from a lot of streamers or people getting into the podcast industry or radio show industry, they say, what's the number one thing that I can do? And I say, number one rule, be consistent. Absolutely. Start, make it crappy. If it's crappy in the beginning, trust me. Over time, it will get better and better and better. It's, but just make sure you're consistent with it. It's, you know, my, it's, I don't know. My, to some people, it might sound like a cheap philosophy. But my philosophy in, in just about everything in life, but certainly as a DJ, is it's better to be 8 out of 10 100% of the time than to be 10 out of 10 50% of the time. Uh, it sounds like a bit of a, I don't know, an IQ test question. But, you know, hopefully some of you will make sense of that. And, and I really believe that. Consistency is key. And when does Global Warm? When are the new episodes released of Global Warm? What date of the week do they come out? Uh, right, weekends. Weekends. So you get everyone ready for the weekend. It's their mix to listen to. Exactly. Yeah. Totally get it. Awesome. So I want to jump into something here. I, I in my notes I put down what I called for this interview the three lives, and we'll take these each one at a time. But you have a live stream, you have a live tour, and you have a live band. So you're gearing up for all this stuff. The live stream, is that the global warm-up or is, do you do streams? The live stream stuff, well, the, the, the global warm-up does go out on a YouTube and a, and a Twitch live stream. But no, the live stream is completely different. It's a two-hour two hour DJ set that throughout lockdown, I've been doing live on a Saturday night as 
Um, here in the UK, we are coming out of lockdown fairly slowly compared to other nations, frustratingly. Uh, and therefore, but, but as I increasingly get back, I mean, I've got a full diary of gigs, of shows. It's just as we come, as those begin to come to fruition, then I'll start doing it pre-recorded. But no, that's a completely different thing. It's from my decks, audio visuals, uh, lots of you know, interesting backdrops. Uh, that, yeah, that's what that's all about. Then you asked me about the band. Yeah. Uh, so I've got so I've got this unusual, especially um, between about 2017 and 2019, there was this big trend of orchestras doing or or orchestra shows of classic dance music, which um, I was lucky enough to curate a few of them, was involved in some of them, because I'm getting up on stage and talking, because I've you know, got a legacy of being somebody who can speak as well as doing a bit of DJing. So I was very associated with that, did some very interesting high-profile venues, the Royal Festival Hall, for example, in London, which is one of the, it's one of the most famous classical halls in the world. Um, various shows, some of all of them in, in classical auditoria. Um, but actually, it began to be a little bit boring, I thought. You know, the novelty of seeing your favourite record played by an orchestra, especially if, like me, you weren't really brought up on classical music, it's, it's you know, it's tear-jerking for the first few times. But then it just started, you know, then every promoter, every legacy promoter in the UK, and they started to do them in, in Ibiza a bit. There were probably some in the US as well, I would imagine. But... Um, it just began to be a bit boring because it's kind of note for note played the same by each orchestra. So I thought, well, this, this kind of live thing, this classics thing has got some, you know, it's got some nostalgia and it's got some legs. But what, so what I thought we'd do is we, I basically almost treat it like a mashup DJ set played by a live orchestra. So, so if you take two or three records, put them on top of each other. So, you, so you've got a vocalist singing an acapella, you've got two, a live band playing two sets of hooks over on, and then you've got, a bunch of musicians playing crazy solos, doing like guitar solo, you know, electric guitar solos, doing kind of alto sax stuff, percussionist. So it's a really weird mashup of different styles. Uh, and, it, you know, designed really for festivals because it's just, it's really good fun. And I'm actually, most of my work in relation to that is, the, is being musical director and prepping it and getting it right. Um, uh, and most of what I do, I'm, I sort of play the samples and do the, the MCing. Really, it's less of a DJ chore than normal. So that's that's the live band, and then obviously live touring is just the regular DJ stuff that I do, of which there is loads. Well, I, I went and looked on your your website, and you're gearing up for a pretty heavy schedule. I mean, I think you're starting as early as, I mean, you'll know the dates faster than I will, but um, let me click on a link here. I mean, as early as uh, June 26th. Yeah, that's something in Blackburn. Uh, yeah, we've just had our um, our sort of opening up delayed by four weeks here in the UK, regrettably mm -hmm. because of COVID. Um, but yes, no, I mean there's there's a there's a stack of stuff in the diary, that's for sure. I mean, yeah, it, it goes down your page, down your page. It's pretty. I mean, all the way out to December. So congratulations on, you know, I know everyone's waiting to get back and and waiting to get back out there. You know, so I'm sure it's going to be. It's, a, it's be, an interesting one because I, because obviously I'm on a lot of it. I get a lot of e flyers from the US, and I can see that sort of American uh, clubbing in, and to an extent festival culture is getting back on track. And I know I'm sure it varies from state to state, but the the interesting thing is that myself included, lo, um, lots and lots of artists. There's a, there's basically a visa class that enables you to go and tour. It's a three year visa. It enables you to go and tour in the United States. Um, but at the moment, uh, 
it's impossible to get an appointment at any US embassy around the world because of COVID to go and renew your visa. So it's almost like the lucky ones who just renewed that particular visa before COVID struck have still got a bit of residual validity on that visa. They've probably still got a year and a half left, whereas other artists are really struggling. They can't go to the US because the visa's run out, but they can't get an appointment at a US embassy anywhere around the world to actually renew it. So it's, um, I, in recent years, I've probably only gone to the US sort of once a year to play, but I still, clearly you have to have a visa to do that. It's not a very cheap visa to get. You, typically you need an immigration attorney, but that's actually, um, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing because seeing club culture coming back into life by these e-flyers in the US, um, but knowing that some of the international, a lot of international touring artists can't go there. Maybe it's good for domestic DJs, I guess, in the US. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think what we're going to see here is definitely a, a boom or a resurgence of the locals or, like you said, domestics getting a lot more of those filled slots until that opens up. And I think there's that's already been talked no, about at the tables and it only makes sense, you know? Um, but I think there's gonna be an adjustment. It, it, one year from now, I think we'll start seeing those lineups, you know, come back. I, you know, cause we, we have our winter time here and you don't get a lot of outdoor festivals in the winter time, but next spring, it'll all, you know, pop back up, which will be amazing. Or maybe even the winter, a lot of the big indoor clubs will start bringing, you know, bringing people back in. Um, Speaking of events, and you've played, like you've said, literally countless large-scale events. We all kind of know what happens on stage as a participant watching what happens, but can you give us some insights on what happens backstage? What's one of the craziest things you've ever seen happen backstage at, a, at, a, at an event? There is a, by far the, <laughs> by far the, the craziest thing I've, I've ever seen backstage is, um, I don't know what you call them in the US. You've, we call here we call them portaloos. They're the kind of they're like the single story uh, bathrooms that mm -hmm. you often get on construction sites, for example. Yeah. But you yeah. get those. They're using for in in the bigger kind of bath restroom areas of festivals. There would be some. There would be multiple person. But but uh, in the back behind a lot of the arenas in the kind of big top the circus tent type things. There might be all these single kind of construction site things. And I. And the, 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 the most terrible thing I saw, so one DJ went in there to, to relieve themselves. Another DJ tipped it over, <laughs> tipped the whole thing over. And, and it, they're full of these kind of this blue fluids. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with what I'm talking about. Came up covered in, uh, you know, shit and piss and, and blue fluids. Uh, I had nothing to do with it, I should point out. Did, did, that, did that DJ ever get, on that practical joke, that prank, did that DJ ever get to get the other DJ or whoever tipped it over? I, uh, I, yeah, he, he wasn't pleased, as you could well imagine. Um, are they, uh, did they ever become best friends? Yeah, you what, it really varies, because every festival's different. So if you do like a multi, a multi big top, you know, do you call them big tops in the US? Yeah, big, you know, yeah, big tent. Multi-stage, multi-tent, yeah. yeah. The ones with big tents. So some some of them will have an individual kind of, if you like, a hospitality area per arena. And some of them will have a central hospitality area where you get taken in a kind of golf buggy uh, from the hospitality area to the uh, to your individual stage to do your set. So it's it's often those central hospitality areas that are the most fun, you know, where everybody's got their own quarter cabin, their own Winnebago type scenario. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of, we, we spoke a little bit about your DJ career, your, your professional life. Uh, with, with all those obligations in life, 
how do you stay in shape? How do you stay healthy? What do you do to maintain a good uh, work-life balance? Exercise and eat properly. Um, yeah. Preferred method the, of exercise. You know, the, interesting, the interesting thing, I don't know whether it's the same in the US, but I suspect it probably is. Like pool party culture, which is a phenomenon really only of the past decade, has actually, I spent, um, most of the early years of my DJ career, luckily enough, especially when I was in the UK, doing more than one thing a night on a Saturday night, because the UK is a relatively small country with lots of cities that are kind of close to each other. So you could do a, a show in one city, get in the car, drive for an hour and a half, do another show, which wouldn't really be, you know, unless you did maybe Los Angeles and San Diego, for example, on the same night. There's not many circumstances in which that would be possible, even with a private jet in the US on the same night. But that's, but, but that I used to do a lot of, and I, you know, come in at six or eight in the morning, I'd be driven overnight, finish my second show, be, fit, be driven overnight and go to bed at kind of crazy o'clock. Um, but in the, in the last 10 years, um, with, with the obvious exception of Ibiza, because the Spanish are pretty crazy, everything ends so much earlier now. Everything is kind of more daytime orientated. And it's just... You know, when I when I started, if somebody had promoted it, said, "Yeah, this ends at midnight," people nobody would have nobody would have gone. They would have sold no tickets. You know, whereas now it's almost accepted that you go out early. The peak of the evening can be twelve o'clock, and people go home. I mean, you can interpret that in different ways. You could say that the modern clubbing generation are a bit more boring than they used to be. But it's you know, for me as I've got a bit older, it's actually a good thing because it means that I get the best of both worlds. You know, I can still go out and do a lot of DJing without. I don't think my body could necessarily handle the sort of consistent late nights that it, that it did when I was younger. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you and know what you mean there. Um, being a person who's been nightclubbing, going out to nightclubs for almost 30 years, and um, now I do my own events. I have five events a week, and they two of them happen on Saturdays and Sundays. They happen in the afternoon. They happen between noon and 4 p.m. And it's not because I'm getting older. I just like the fact that I can go out and do my daytime stuff, get my electronic music on, get my feel, get my shows, do what I like to do and produce what I want to do, but still go out to dinner and still get home. And, and I always got a ton of work. I'm always going to bed at one or two in the morning anyways, but I'm not up at one or two in the morning, getting home and going to bed at three or four in the morning. I'm trying to rinse, wash, repeat that, getting up at seven or eight in the morning to get ready for the day anymore. And I, again, that work-life balance can be very difficult for a lot of people because they can get caught up in the scene or get caught up in that lifestyle of the late night lifestyle or the, the party lifestyle. So, and it, it can become very unhealthy. So, you know, do you have any um, tried and true methods of how you stay in shape when you work out? Are you on a like, full just party? Running. Or... No running, really. Running? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when it comes and to eat, diet. And eat healthily as well. Yeah, I, I'm recently just got one of my friends just sent me a, a, a 36 page. Here's how you do the keto Kickstarter program. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to try this out. I, I got myself a sous vide and I'm um, going to start making my dishes and cut carbs out. And, you know, got that little bit of COVID got coming on and got to go, got to look good for summer so I can get out and do some dancing. Um, so, you know, um, looking back, you mentioned. You forgive me for saying this. I always pronounce it wrong, but I grew up saying Ibiza. I don't know why. You say Ibiza, uh, which is probably more correct and true to it. I hope I didn't murder that. But I want to know what is 
a be the holic. Can you tell us more about that? What's the whole, what's the appeal? Well, I saw something on your Instagram, I believe, that you had posted uh, a beataholic, and I wanted to know more about that. Is that something that's trending or moving forward, or was it just a... uh, I think it's, well, I mean, it, it kind of is self-explanatory, really. I mean, Ibiza, there isn't, there isn't really an equivalent to Ibiza in the US. I mean, I suppose, you know, I suppose Vegas, when it's in full swing with the choice of clubs and pool parties, would be the, the nearest thing, but it's not... Um, Obviously, for in Vegas, you've got a certain amount of real hardcore electronic music fans. We've also got a few, I think, the majority of people kind of have gone there because Vegas is a break destination and will go to a park, pool party or a club at, as part of a bundle of things that you would do. Whereas Ibiza is, is the party destination. It's a relatively small island. It's in the Mediterranean, so it's got really, really has, a, and it's also got a limited season. The clubs are open between late May and very early October, and really the core the core months being um, mid June to, to late September. Uh, it's got some of the world's greatest clubs in any given week. It's literally an A to Z of um, electronic music superstars, um, and it's a relatively small island. It's also got great bars, great restaurants, so really good climate. Relatively small island, so any of the clubs are accessible within about a twenty minute taxi journey. Um, and it's just got a head start on the rest of the world in, in relation to that because it's had that legacy. Obviously, the, as products, the clubs themselves have developed over the course of the, the last few decades. But that, that legacy started really in the late 70s and early 80s, I mean, before I was going there, but um, and, and kind of built from there with a strong UK influence because the UK has been very typically, historically very strong, was a very earlier adopter in electronic music, uh, both in terms of DJs and just making hit records out of records that never would have been hit records before the explosion of electronic music. And the UK market is the biggest market to Ibiza, probably about 30% of its tourist market. Um, obviously, very was very damaged last year. None of the clubs opened at all. Still too early to say what's going to happen in 2021, although the, if I was to if I was to put a bet on it, I'd say some of them may well open in the latter part of the summer, uh, although the extent to which they'll be socially distanced, who knows. Um, but it is, you know, it's a unique mecca for lovers of electronic music. Absolutely. I just saw one of my friends post on Facebook, a memory post popped up online and it was like three years ago in Ibiza, you know, and a bunch of group of people. I'm like, I've always wanted to travel and go there with this. That's one of my good friends, Jonathan. Give a shout out to Jonathan Bates. What's up, Jonathan? Um, he's from the UK. Um, that's who I'll go probably hopefully, hopefully if he goes over there this year, I'll be able to come over there and visit with him if everything's okay um, later this summer. But, um, you know, you mentioned the long history of, of music and, and things uh, in the industry, you know, going back to the 70s, 80s, before your time. But question is, if you could go back 25 years in music history or forward 50 years in music future, which one would you pick and why? Um, I don't think, I, I, I'm, I'm not enough of a dreamer or a, don't have a sufficiently vivid imagination to be able to imagine what things will be like 50 years from now. Other than the fact if I'm still around, I'll be a very happy but very crumbling guy. Um, I don't know, I, I just, with, I've always kind of tried to live for now. It's like when my friends get involved in this, I mean, I've had some amazing times. I've been super lucky and I, you know, worked hard to be lucky, but have had some incredible times, both in Ibiza and 
in you know living the dream, doing the thing I, I always dreamt of for my earliest sort of childhood ambitions. But I'm not. But I don't really dwell on what goes on in the past. I'm and I don't really buy into sort of nostalgic nostalgic conversations. I'm a bit more into now, really, and just you know being as good as you can now is is all you can do in life ultimately. Awesome. If 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 Hollywood were to make a, a movie about your life, who would you pick as the main actor? Uh, I hope it's funny because a few of my my DJ peers have done um, have done autobiographies. Um, Paul Oakenfold's done one. There's a guy called Brandon Block here in the UK. Uh, there's, there's about five different DJ autobiographies, and when I um, because I'm one of the better-known, long-standing DJs out in the UK, I contemplated doing one myself. And then when I became an attorney, as well as being a DJ, my uh, my mentor, my lawyer mentor said, do you really, you know, the only way you're going to write an interesting autobiography is to, is to, is to dish a lot of dirt and to talk and talk debauchery, because that's ultimately what people want to hear. So it, the reality is that you know, the one thing I cashed in when I became an attorney was the right or uh, the right to uh, describe and be part of an autobiography. So uh, this is my way of getting out of your question. So nobody will ever play my life as a result of that. <laughs> Why not just play the part yourself? Yeah, I'm a bad actor, I think. <laughs> okay, um, you know, going back to music production and everything, is, is there something you could say to a new and upcoming producer slash DJ to watch out for when it's come when it goes to making their career successful, what words of wisdom come to your mind first? Well, you've got to be. Um, when I was, uh, I spent ten years as an A and R, so I, I was a senior A and R, set up two labels for the Universal Group of companies, and during that time, I was a presenter, prime time presenter on BBC Radio One. So I was more than happy to sign complete unknown records if I was able to take it out onto the dance floor, saw it at the magic factor, um, straight away, you know, ring up the lawyer, the in-house in lawyer within the record label, sign this record, irrespective of whether the artist in question had any degree of kind of persona, had built up any brand awareness, had a fan base, had a social media following. I'm afraid that is just not the case anymore. You know, you are, and I see it all the time, and the great thing about being uh, a very busy um music attorney with a special special interest in electronic music is that I get to see loads of different deals every week. So it's not just viewing the world from my own insular perspective, it's mm. viewing it from the perspective of many deals and many artists, many well-known artists you know of who I represent. And you have, the one thing you've got to be good at, you've got to create a DIY brand awareness for yourself. You Making a good record is not enough. Now, of course, every everybody's path to market, every product's path to market, I sound very corporate, but every DJ's path to market is going to be slightly different and slightly bespoke to them. But you've got to create brand awareness beyond, um, you can't just make a great record. And yes, of course, if you make a succession of great records and you get them in onto the right Spotify playlist, you get them into the right DJ boxes, you get talked about in a more general sense, then eventually it's sort of, you know, the reverse of death by a thousand cuts, kind of life, brand awareness by a thousand cups people will get to know your your name but it's you know that's that's the downside of the the democratization if you like of music making where um suddenly spotify has sixty thousand releases a day 
Um, I mean, the figure is staggering. So to, to cut through that many, that quantity of releases is a, a, a significant challenge. And the only way you can do that is by brand building, by absolutely living and breathing it. Absolutely. I, I believe that's probably one of, the, one of the key strong advices that I give to new streamers or new podcasters is you have to build your brand. You have to have it fully conceptualized. Having just a Facebook page or a Twitter page and great, and I'm dropping a mix and you got a SoundCloud, it's great, but what are you doing to, to acquire new followers? Are you getting out in the forums? Are you talking? Are you meeting? Are you networking? What do you look like as an online presence? Are you marketable? And that takes significant time and investment. And unfortunately, you know, schools that we grew up here in the States, they don't teach marketing in high school. They don't teach salesmen or customers. So they don't teach that kind of network building. I mean, we do vicariously meet, make friends and meet people, but they don't teach you how to hustle, you know, in that sense. They don't teach you the street smarts. You get all the book smarts, but then it's like, okay, you're shoved out in the world. Now go figure out where the chips may fall and make you've it. Got to make be a hustler. It. You've got to be a hustler. And I think that's the common denominator between what I do as a DJ and as a lawyer, actually, because because yeah. actually to be a good lawyer, you've got to be a good hustler as well. You know, yeah. and my, my back, you know, my, the genesis of my DJ career was, was ironically, considering I'm an attorney as well, was promoting illegal raves. That's how I got into it when I was a, when I was an 18, well, between the age of 18 and 25 in the UK. So um, you've got to be a hustler. You, 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 just sitting there in a studio, you can make the greatest records on earth, but stand a strong chance of, of not being acknowledged and having your music getting the, um, the attention that it deserves, unless you can do more than that. Absolutely. It, it was one of the key reasons why I actually founded the DJ sessions was because I saw a lot of DJs playing clubs. We'd bring in celebrity DJs or DJs like yourself into town. But I saw some of these DJs here playing that I would sometimes say they played just as good as, as the out of town DJ played. But they would not, they didn't have any way to get exposure. They had no way to get on tour. They had no way to, there was no management, no AR, there's no, you know, marketing or PR person here in, in our neighborhood. And I'd say, well, come be on this live streaming show and let me introduce you to this worldwide audience that we're doing with live video streaming, which was kind of new 12 years ago. People were streaming live, but it was just a new platform. And we took the local DJs and, and gave them that worldwide appeal and put them in front of a newer audience. And the, one of the hopes was that somebody from around the world would tune into our show and say, I saw you on the show. I want to book you over here. You know, it'd kind of be one of my goals to give back to the community. So it's, you're right, but the hustle is a must. It has to be there. Without it, you're right, you're just sitting in a room and you're not going to get your door knocked on unless you... Yeah, well, exactly. It's, it's when you, especially if you're a music maker, you spend hours, days within your own walls, whether you're doing it on your own or whether you're doing it with a bunch of friends, you, you, you exist in this really... In this 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 sort of literal and metaphorical bubble, and because you hear the same tracks so many times, it's easy that psychologically it becomes your world. But it's very easy to forget that that world, unless you can burst out of that bubble, it it may as well just stay within your world. You know, there's no middle ground. You've got to go out there and do everything you can to, to get known. Absolutely, it's easy, and it takes some luck dare I say it as well. Absolutely. And that follows right into one of my last questions I want to get from you here is if you could take one non-famous person 
in the, in the, in the, and put them in the spotlight who means a lot to you that's other than your direct family or friends, who would that be and, and why? What do you mean by non-famous person? So somebody who somebody who hasn't made it yet that you might know as a rising star or could be a rising talent or somebody you can kind of pluck and say, I'm going to put this person on this pedestal. I'm going to bring this person up here. Is there somebody that you, you know, might... I did, that quite, I did that quite a lot in my Radio 1 times. And, and I sort of do it in legal practice uh, now. Um, I mean, there are a few people like that. I don't... Um, I like to be a bit discreet about the identity of people that I sort of... I work with in legal practice because I just think that's what one should do. You know, it's mm -hmm. not necessarily a breach of confidentiality to say who your clients are. It certainly is to say what your clients, you know, talk about your client's business. But, but yeah, I've made, I've almost made it my part of my career, both in both those spheres of my life, to try and bring people through. And I've succeeded in, in, in doing that. But I, do I want to nominate one particular person at this stage? No, I'm, I'm going to be a bit more, I'm going to be a bit, a little bit more coy about it than that. That's that's okay. That's I totally understand. I appreciate your honesty and candor in that. That's very respectful. Um, you know, it's uh, sometimes some people are really itching to get that new name out, or somebody they're working with or collaborating with. And, you know, there's like, this is who I, you know, top ten or top five or top one. But yeah, totally understandable. Um, well, as we're wrapping up the interview here, is there anything else you want to let our DJ session? DJ sessions fans know about before we let you get going. No, I, I think I've probably opened my big mouth for for, for more than enough time. <laughs> well, I, I did say when I was on your site as well, I stopped by and went over to your merch store, your merchandising store, um, and I just saw you had a ton of stuff up there. Who does the artwork for all that stuff? Uh, it's it's kind of a collective effort. There's a few of us who we work together. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, DJ sessions fans, check out. The store it is phenomenal lots of lots of items there um and where can people find out more information about you and what you got going on oh i guess my website judgejewels.net my um twitter and facebook judge jewels um twitter is at, at real judge jewels somebody cyber squatted my the, the judge jewels on his own years ago and i've never i just couldn't wasn't up for the fight to get that uh, back so yeah those those would be your main your main sources of and, and on the socials which one would you say you're the more active on i suppose facebook facebook yeah awesome but, all right not, yeah all of them really yeah. I, I used kind of some different software programs so i can link at all of them at, at one time sometimes it saves me a lot of time i won't give them a plug because i'm actually moving systems right now but you know if you if you get into that le high level of social media practicing it helps to get an automation service or something that can help you post to multiple platforms at one time. I used to do it all singly and all my pages and all my entities one at a time. Some, some, some I still do. People think I have a bot program written for this stuff. It's like, no, I manually go in and post and copy and paste everything in. Um, but thank you again so much for coming on the show. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll see you here in the States. Later in the year, I know you got your tour plan. It looks like a lot of UK dates, um, but if not sooner than later, we'll check out your live streaming show and definitely check out Global Warm Up as well. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. And don't forget to go to our website, thedjsessions.com. Find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, hashtag us, the DJ Sessions, or TDJS if you're so bold. This is Darren Bruce and Judge Jules coming to you from the DJ Sessions virtual session. You know what happens on the DJ Sessions. The music never stops.